Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. We have a special guest co-host today, Stephen Emily, who was originally uh, going to uh, co-host today, uh, wasn't able to make it. Uh, so Stephen, thank you for joining last minute. My pleasure. It's an honor. Yeah. Yeah. Normally I ask the other person what we're going to be talking about, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it <laughs> since we you know, kind of invited you like 30 minutes ago or an hour ago. Um, and that is how do I prepare for a known drop in income? Um, you know, how do we deal with, um, we know that income is going to be dropping for a wide variety of reasons. And some of those different reasons may impact how we prepare for it. Uh, and how would we, we guide clients through that, right? How do we prepare clients for that? Um, so Stephen, I know that Emily gave you a few questions that she had prepared. I know that you probably have some questions prepared. Um, uh, of your own. And so I'll let you kind of start us off with where you want to start with the conversation. Sure. So I just want to start with uh, maybe just kind of the, the the first step is big picture. When when somebody knows that a drop in income is coming, um, what do you do as a coach? How do we begin to walk with them through that and prepare them for that eventuality? So step number one is putting on your poker face. Uh, as a financial coach, your eyes are probably going to go wide and you're probably going to start racing in your mind of all the things that you have to do. Um, you, it's, it's really important that, especially if that known drop in income is because of something that may be emotionally charged for the client, yes. they are probably already feeling a lot of stress. And if you allow your... And I'm not going to call it stress. It might be your, um, I don't, and I don't want to say excitement because I don't want to sound like it's a good thing, but the excitability that you have going on inside yourself to bleed out, that is going to create stress in the client. So I think the most important thing is to kind of take, take yourself down a notch, slow yourself down, take deep breaths, and make sure that you're presenting a very calm um, demeanor to the client. Um, this isn't always the case with a drop of income, but oftentimes drops of income come with a lot of emotional components to them. And we want to not add to that. Right. Yeah. So then as, as you stay calm, as you help them work through the emotions of that, as you uh, maybe help them process that a little bit about what's coming and, and, and be planning ahead, um, what are some of the most important things to be looking at together? Like, obviously, uh, there's going to be a need to uh, adjust the budget, um, maybe to be relying on emergency funds for a little bit, uh, maybe adjust, especially if they're in the middle of debt payoff, like, does that need to be adjusted? Uh, so what are some things that, that you should look at together? Yeah, so all of that depends on the reason for the drop of income, right? Um, 
with regard to, you know, remember, this is a known drop of income in the future, not a surprise. Right. right? And so a lot of this has to do with I, I, the first thing is, and this is where I think that many coaches would um, potentially get ahead of themselves, right? Putting the cart before the horse type thing, right? Which is, all right, we got a drop of income. That's going to affect this part, uh, this box in my spreadsheet. So what other things in my spreadsheet do I need to adjust in order to adjust for that box in the spreadsheet? And I think the first thing that we have to do is understand the context, right? So before even looking at budgets, before I would, I would be very, very careful not to assume that we have to make any adjustments whatsoever, right? Um, it may be that depending on the circumstances, you have one minor little adjustment and then everything kind of goes smoothly from there. Um, and it may not be an adjustment that you think. Um, and so, you know, with a known drop of income, the first three questions are, uh, why, right? What, what's, what's causing this known drop of income when, right? At what, uh, you know, at what point is this drop of income coming? How much time do we have before this happens? Right. And when, how long does this drop of income be is anticipated for? Right. Those three questions are going to be very, very different. Right. If it's because we have a known drop of income because the business that we own is in a massive lawsuit and it's going to go bankrupt. And so that business income is going to disappear. That is a very, very different statement than, oh, we just got pregnant and we're going to plan for, in addition to the maternity leave, um, you know, my spouse is going to go back to work half time, which is what my myself and my wife did um, for six months or a year or whatever it happens to be. Right. And so we're going to have a cut of half of income for that period of time. And we just got pregnant means we've got nine months. <laughs> right. Um, and so as we look at that, you know, those are two very different scenarios and they're going to require two very different responses. Right. And so just understanding the context is actually the most important thing you can do. And then try not to make drastic changes. You know, um, we, we tend to want to grab the wheel and yank it hard to get us back on track, right? And that tends to be very jarring. And while it feels good for us, it does not feel good for the client. And it increases right. the chances that they're going to not stick with the plan, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's okay. You, one of the things you mentioned is going into emergency funds. It's okay to go into emergency funds. That, that's why they're there, right? There's no point of having a rainy day fund if you don't use it when it's raining, right? And so, yeah, that would be the first thing I'd look at is I'd say, great, this is why we have an emergency fund. This is why we've been building this thing up. And as a result, um, yeah, we're going to bring that down to zero over that period of time. Let's talk about what that means. And then the income is going to go back up. Wonderful. We'll rebuild it at that point. Right. Um, and so that's, that's one of the first things that I'd look at is looking at savings. Um, as far as debt pay down, I would, you know, as we look at the debt pay down, 
I, I would definitely, I wouldn't personally change anything with regards to the debt strategy. But my philosophy on debt is different than other people. And so if my philosophy was different, then I would change some things. Right. So if you are in a get to zero debt pay down, that should go on hold. Right. If that's your philosophy, if your philosophy is separate the debt into good debt and bad debt, kill the bad debt and uh, do nothing but minimum payments with the good debt. Right. If that's your philosophy, nothing changes with that debt pay down. We want to kill the bad debt because it's still causing bleeding. And so we want to cut off that bleeding. Um, and that's not to say that you're absolutely going to be able to do that, but that would be kind of the, the starting point. Um, and then allow the good debt, everything to just kind of continue on its path because we're not doing this aggressive thing where we're throwing huge amounts of money toward all of the debt. Right? Um, at the same time, if we let's say we've paid down the credit cards, right? this is going to be sacrilege, right? But if we have to go into a little bit of credit card debt to make it through this process, right? Um, depending on what the process is, that may be absolutely a good thing to do, right? Um, you know, if if someone is going through cancer treatments, telling the spouse that's healthy, instead of going with your spouse to the cancer treatments and being with them, I want you to get a night job and a weekend job. So you're away from your spouse as they're going through this cancer treatment so that we can avoid credit card debt. Right. That is not good coaching advice. <laughs> right. Goes back to the why. Right. The why is really going to influence things. Um, you know, and, and so you, you really want to that why is going to really influence what you're going to do. And there is no right answer. There is no here's what you put in the book and everyone follows the book's advice answer. So let's say then that um, let's consider two different scenarios. And uh, one would be um, I'm leaving my job. I'm going to do a six to nine months training program. And then I have a high likelihood of getting a job very quickly after that. So, so more of a, a short to medium term uh, loss in income versus um, my spouse wants to go to school. It's a two to three year program. And then she's going to get a job that's going to be higher paying, but it's, it's going to be three, two to three years to do that. So if you're going from a two income family to a one income family, uh, you know that um, you're going to be exhausting your emergency fund or you don't have an emergency fund. What are some differences in strategies that you're going to use between kind of a medium term to a long term drop in income? Yeah, so I, I think the 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 medium term drop of income, uh, the simplest thing to do there is great. That's awesome. Uh, what I want you to do is uh, we're going to burn through your emergency funds. That's what it's there for. We are going to um, we are going to then have you get a. You're going to quit your full time job. I want you to get a part-time job, but not a side gig. And this is really, really important, right? The, 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 a lot of people would say, oh, just go out and get any job. No, no, no. Let's say that you want to become a, um, a, a account, a 
yeah, let's say you want to become a CPA, right? And you've got your accounting degree. You just need uh, six months or three months to study for the exam to be able to take the exam, right? So that's the direction that you want to go. And then you're going to open up your own accounting firm. Great. Awesome. Start off by taking a two-week refresher class on QuickBooks if you haven't used it in a while and start doing bookkeeping for local businesses as a side job. Why? Because that is starting and building the accounting firm, <laughs> right? It, it's identify what you can do in that new career now, even if it's part-time, not very high pay, right? Relative to what you would ultimately be doing, but start doing things that work for that new career. Um, and then, yeah, we just burn through the emergency fund and the money that comes in from that, you know, side gig. I'm not even sure I'd use it for family stuff. I'd use it for making sure that we can get the business up and running or get you a do hire a, uh, an executive recruiter to, you know, shop you around if you want to work for an accounting firm or whatever it happens to be. Right. Um, if we're talking about a four year program, right, I'm going back to get my doctorate. Great. When do we need to start this by is my question, right? Because if we can wait, if we can hold off a year, that gives us a year to build up a little bit larger of a savings. It gives us a year to adjust and live with the budget because it's going to be wrong, right? Um, but more importantly, it gives us a year to take some time to find um, the, the most cost-efficient way of getting that program. Um, finding a fellowship could be really, really advantageous in that scenario. And so the longer term ones, what I would say is see if we, because it's already going to be a four-year process at that point. See if we can buy ourselves a little bit of time in order to be able to better prepare for it. Right. At that point, we don't really want to look at burning through emergency funds because we're extending that risk over a longer period of time. And at that point, we are gonna to have to start looking at what adjustments do we need to make to the budget in order to incorporate those things in. And that, that budget adjustments becomes far more important the longer it is. Right. And that was another question I had is, is with, so, so, so we're gonna adjust the, the budget as a family for four years. Um, what are some specific steps they can take to really make that sustainable because you know, it, it may be sustainable if, if there is an emergency, don't have any emergency funds, it, it may be sustainable to pull back spending for a short term, but that's just not doable long term for most families. Yeah. So that what that comes down to is you list off every single thing that they spend on. And you ask them, give me your priorities top to bottom. Let, don't worry about the dollar amount. I don't care whether it's a penny or $10,000 a month that you're spending on this. How important is this to you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things we tend to want to do is we tend to want to identify, well, what are the big swings I can do, right? Uh, hey, your, your rent is $5,000 a month. We could drop it down to $2,000 a month if all the kids double up in bedrooms. Okay, awesome. How long do you think that's going to last for? Right. You know, if, if the, and I know families do that, but if the families, their personal values all know, we want each kid to have their own bedroom for their own space, so on and so forth. That's not going to be a four year <laughs> plan. Right. So we want to be careful of trying to just like identify these big chunks. Right. That's our natural inclination. I'm not saying it's a bad inclination. It's just 
you know, that paired with the priorities. Um, and so as you go through and identify those priorities, then you can just start at the bottom and, and pull up. And the lower we start on their priority list, the more likely it's going to be long-term sustainable. Right. Okay. Then what about in the, the short to medium term, if you do have to drain their emergency fund, yes, it's over a shorter period of time, right? So there's a less overall risk, but is there a level where you still do want to leave a little bit in the emergency fund for like an actual emergency fund of, you know, the car breaks down is undrivable, the water heater breaks and has to be replaced, or do you just drain it completely? And then if that comes up, um, then just put that on a credit card. So, yeah, I mean, the reality is, you know, putting money on a credit card versus draining the emergency fund is kind of half a dozen of one six of another, right? Because, you know, the credit card acts as an emergency fund, mm-hmm. you know, effectively. So I would go through the emergency fund first. Mm-hmm. And that, that's my general inclination. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's not to say that one's right and one's wrong. It's, um, it's just my inclination. Right. Um, so other people would want to have money in the emergency fund first. So the benefit of draining the emergency fund first um, and not using the credit card is that you're not paying the interest. Right. right. That's the obvious benefit. The benefit of using the credit card and not draining the emergency fund first is that the emergency fund is more flexible. You can pay a mortgage with an emergency fund. You cannot pay a mortgage with a credit card, right? I mean, you can if you do a cash advance, but then you're even more expensive in it, right? And so when when we look at that idea, of the our different options that we have, right? Um, we, we always want to balance the cost of the option with uh, the financial cost of the op- option with the flexibility cost of the option. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The now my preference was drain the emergency fund first because it was a drop in income, not a known elimination of income. And so I assume that the we could utilize the cash income, right, from the other spouse's job, for example. Um, we could utilize that to provide us with the flexibility that we need. Right. Okay, so let's change the scenario then. Let's say it's a two-household income. Um, they have two kids and now mom is pregnant again and they are, mom wants to just stay home. So now it is a change that for at least the next five to 10 years, uh, mom's going to be staying home with kids, uh, and then she'll get a job later. But, um, so, so it's not, it's not coming back anytime soon. So what, what, uh, what strategies could they use in that scenario? Yeah. The strategies that I would use in that scenario is I would take, I would, uh, have myself, um, go back to get some better training on working with clients uh, because I should have known in the conversation that this was something that comes up with uh, that, that may come up in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, This is one of the things where, you know, having the conversations about people's personal 
desires is really, really important in that we want to identify, um, oh, mom has mentioned a couple of things about, oh yeah, my friend stays at home. It's so wonderful. Oh, is that something that if you, if that, if you had another child, would that be something that you'd want to do? Yeah, I, I, I think I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, we're not wanting to get pregnant. We're not wanting to do that now, but you know, if we had another child, okay. Um, are you totally against having another child? Not necessarily. Okay, well, let's start talking about what we would do now in order to prepare for if in the future you did decide to have another child, and if in that future where you had another child, you'd want to stay home, how would we prepare for that, Mm -hmm. right? And if uh, that doesn't come to pass, awesome. We've got a big pot of money that we can decide to take a big family vacation with uh, when your current kids are older. So, right. And, and so a lot of that comes down to like looking for those cues from people of, ooh, you've mentioned some things that might change something in the future, even though you're not planning for it yet. What can we start doing to think about um, how how we can better position ourselves to give you the flexibility of being able to make those changes, right? Mm-hmm. If you decide to do them, right? And if you don't decide to do them, then we get to have a fun conversation of how do we want to spend this money? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and it's this, this idea is one of the reasons why I, my philosophy is not kill all debt, mm-hmm. right? Because kill all debt, you are locking up money in illiquid things that don't give you that flexibility to be able to switch from one idea to the next, to the next. Um, I'm also not on the Kawasaki side of the, you know, extreme where it's debt is great. And if you don't have 10 times as much debt as you have assets, you're a stupid idiot, right? That, that ridiculous other side of the extreme, right? Uh, you know, it, it's you. You have to balance the cost of a financial decision financially with the cost of a financial decision, liquidity-wise and flexibility-wise. Hmm. Yeah. So then, as as if if we do choose to, if if they do choose to adjust their budget, um, and they know that's coming in nine months, um, you you want to help them think through that. Uh, maybe how detailed should you help them get in that budget? I mean, obviously you've mentioned it's going to change, it's going to be wrong, but but is there value in maybe helping them to think through that so at least it can kind of be percolating in the back of their head for something's going to have to change? Yeah, I, I think that the big thing that we want to we want to do is I think it's just good a good idea naturally to have a conversation with clients about what might change in the future, like what possible changes could be so that um, not just that it's percolating in their head, but also so that you're getting, um, you're getting, how, how should I say this? You're getting early indications from clients as there, mm-hmm. as things start to pop up, um, you know, most clients, a lot of coaches don't think that that personal, like, Hey, how are the kids doing? Right. Is a coaching mechanism. They, they think it's a, Oh, we're just, you know, being friendly and, you know, it's building the relationship. 
um, you know, the more that we talk about people's lives and not their finances, the more we get those advance notices that they're a crazy idea popped into their head from a dream that they totally dismissed and didn't even tell their spouse about, right? Um, and yet it could be the first step in something that's going to happen five years from now. And it doesn't mean that we then start putting all our plans together based on that, right? But, you know, if someone has that crazy idea pop into their head and they say, and, you know, you know, I might say, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, let's just go through an exercise just for the heck of it. Let's say that that did happen or something else along those lines. You know, what would you want that to look like? Mm. Right. Um, yeah. Did that hey. fully answer your question? I feel like I might not have. Uh, it, it did partially. I think the second part is with that is how detailed do you get in adjusting their budget early, knowing that whenever you do the budget, when the actual uh, thing comes, that, that the, the, the theoretical budget is not going to work. Yeah, I, I think that you want to be very careful about choosing what you adjust in the budget early, right? There are certain things that I know I can adjust in the budget early. So client says, hey, we're thinking about uh, buying a house and it's going to... Um, it's going to, uh, this is the, the size of the house that we're looking at. Awesome. What we're going to do is we're going to start spending on that mortgage and all of the costs of owning a house now before you own it. And we're just going to, in, in addition to rent, you're going to transfer money into a separate savings account called how crappy is owning a house, right? And let's experience that for six months and see when we start losing that money for the maintenance costs of the house and, you know, everything else that goes into it and the increase in the cost of your monthly payment from the rent to the mortgage. Um, you know, what, what does, how does it feel with your lifestyle, right? Does that feel like it is doable? And the more that we can start creating those Here's what the new situation would look like now, early. The, the more we can get that feeling for it early, right? Um, and so I would say start doing those adjustments and those tests before you have to, right? So last question. For the client to say, hey, we cut back way too much on alcohol. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't matter what you think of that statement, right? If that's what they're saying, you have to put more money in the alcohol budget and figure something else out because that is not going to be long-term sustainable, <laughs> even if you can talk them out of it now. So, sorry, go ahead. So last question is kind of a two-part and, and you've, you've already partially answered this throughout, but just is this kind of a, you know, a softball to, to throw anything else at the end, but um, both on the coach's side and on the client side, um, what are the biggest things of make sure you don't do this? <laughs> oh yeah. So there's a whole list of those things. So number one on the client side, and there's not a lot you can do about this as a coach, if they are hell bent on this, or if it's something that, that's out of their control, but, you know, try not to do things quickly, Right. Um, try not to make that decision a snap decision and then move forward with it regardless. 
the opposite end of that spectrum on the coach's side, try not to delay it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I, I think is a natural tendency for us to do, which is, oh yeah, I, I totally agree with this. Let's just, why don't we, why don't we start planning for this now and we'll build up some money. And then in 12 years, you'll be able to do it. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I gave the example of cancer treatments. You don't have a choice in that as a coach, right? You kind of want to treat everything like cancer treatments, which is, you know, on the client side, we, you know, the, the important thing there is to try not to rush it. On the coach's side, the important thing there is try not to delay it. And as the coach who has to guide both of those processes, that is really hard thing to do. Right. Um, but it, can you, can you just for a minute talk, talk a little bit more about what you mean by as a coach not delaying it? So, you know, when if someone says, hey, I'm going to quit my six figure job, I'll get a $40,000 a year job. And it's going to take me four years to get through this program before I start making that money again, right? So a 60% drop in income. Right? When we have that experience, right? When that happens, our natural inclination is, great, the college isn't going anywhere. How about you keep your six-figure your six job for another couple of years so we can build up some bigger savings, Right? What you're really telling them is the reason why you've chosen to do this. You hate your job. You're stressed out. You feel like you're going to get cancer because of the stress at work. You have a passion that you want to pursue, right? Whatever it happens to be. What you are telling them is that's not important to me. Your budget is more important than you are to me. Right. And I think our natural inclination is to say, let's delay this big decision until we've built up enough money that it in no way can harm you. Right. And that's not a good direction to take. Right. And that's why we have to, as a coach, be very careful not to delay. Right. We have to, we have to be comfortable with there's going to be risk with these decisions. It can be risks with every decision. Right. And we have to be comfortable with what level of risk is the appropriate level of risk to take. And we need to, we're probably going to be outside of our comfort zone. If we're not outside of our comfort zone, it probably means we're delaying too long. Right. And that means that we as a coach are going to have to get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. That I think this is going to blow up. Right. Good. If you don't think that, that probably means that you're being too, you're delaying it too much. Right. And as we think about these different, like these different outcomes that come out, um, the, that's where the delay comes in, right. Is mm -hmm. where we start to say, you know, let's just wait a couple of years, you know, and let's be honest, our natural inclination is when those two years are gone by, we're going to say, well, let's wait another year. I mean, we've already waited two years. Let's just wait another year, right? Um, and not only is that not actually helping the client, but it, it is honestly saying you're not important to me, right? My, my spreadsheet balancing is more important than your life. And I know you don't think that. And I'm talking to coaches, not 
and myself and not necessarily you specifically, Stephen, right? But I know that coaches don't think that, but that's, that is what you're saying. And that is consciously or subconsciously how the client is going to interpret that. Mm-hmm. Right. Any other last things to, to not do before we end? <laughs> yeah, I think the last thing to not do is just try not to, I, I mentioned this before, but try not to yank too hard on the wheel, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to overcorrect. Um, you know, the, the idea, the ideal thing is the bare minimum that has to be done in order to make that correction, even if it takes us off course, right, for a long period of time as we sort of slowly steer that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bare minimum is, is where we want to lean toward in these things because major adjustments like this are going to create stress and we don't want to do less than the bare minimum, uh, especially not significantly less, but as we start to do more than that in order to assuage our conservative natures, um, we place more and more stress on the client and we place, and that increases the likelihood that the entire thing blows up. Right. So small movements, smallest you can possibly do, the better um, to allow for the client to adjust, then then move a little bit more and adjust then move a little bit more um, as, a, as opposed to really big swings. Right. Now, certain things we may have to do really big things, right? Um, if we're going to be moving and the lease is up in two months and it's another one year lease we're signing, the timing is taking our, things out of our hands at that point. Right. Right. So, you know, circumstances will adjust that in specific scenarios, but I think that's a good general principle. So, well, thank you. I think you've uh, covered that really well. Good. And I think you did an excellent job of last minute becoming uh, the co-host. I, we, we really appreciate you popping in. And um, when you're ready, I want you to come back to talk a little bit about um you know, your experience as with your business and it getting started up. I know that you joined launch not too long ago. So you're, you're still kind of in that, in that process of, of building and everything else, but, you know, want to have you come back to talk, you give the answers to the questions rather than me. <laughs> so. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.